Bring out your dead. It's Friday, July 13th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Germ Carrier, and with me today are Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Maarten van Rossum's number one fan, and Gordon Derrick, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Football Analyst Stalker. <laughs> Gordon, it's nice um, to uh, see you again. Yes, thanks. Did you miss me? No, no, didn't not I, really at all. Neither did I. Yeah, no. you've been away no. for two months or something. Uh, yeah. Two weeks, just two, two oh, weeks. Just I wasn't, two wasn't weeks. with you. Yeah. yeah, it feels like two months. Yeah, I was but, just having fun watching the World Cup. Ah, you've you've watched everything. Uh, I've watched quite a lot of it. it was, yeah? Um, yeah, most of the games. And I'm yeah. wondering which team were you supporting? I, I was mo- mainly backing Belgium this year. Really? I, I thought uh, they had a good team. I wouldn't have no? guessed that. I have no idea at all. <laughs> you're sitting here in a Belgian knockoff Belgian football jersey to record the podcast. Uh, yeah, this is one that came with a free crate of palm, which, <laughs> which, may, have, which may have. So no, the, sorry, the t-shirt came free with a crate of palm. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it would have been better if the. It'd be better of if the beer was free <laughs> and I had to pay for the t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, the, 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 that may have partly influenced my decision. Um, yeah. But it was uh, no Belgium had a good team this year. I thought um, yes. lots of exciting players and they had a, a fantastic comeback win against Japan. I thoroughly enjoyed watching them. Yeah, but too bad that they uh, they lost from France. They did they did lose to a very yeah turgid, extremely defensive France French yeah. team in the yeah. semi final. Yeah. I'm cheering for France just to annoy you guys. Yeah, that, yeah. Well, you you're succeeded. annoying the rest of yeah. Europe as well. That's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Okay. Well. So Paul, what, what, how are you feeling today? I'm uh, I'm feeling a bit. Um, under the weather. Really? Are mm. you feeling under the weather like I was feeling under the weather last week? Yes, that's true. Yeah. Is, it, it Is there a link here, maybe? Yes. Mm, I, I don't think so. I am think I, it's am just I gonna, a coincidence. How much am I going to enjoy the first week of the school holidays? <laughs> Not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Molly, uh, who is Marta von Wilson? Um... I don't know. Who is Marta von Rossum? He's like this guy that's always on like nightly talk shows. He's on the television at any time. He's on the television all the time and he says ridiculous things. Yeah, Yeah. but why are you his number one fan? Well, someone uh, has a uh, Twitter account dedicated to Marta von Rossum without context. So it's just his ridiculous quotes that he says. And uh, he had a quote. (laughs) There was a tweet this week. About him saying what that he didn't ever want to give birth. Basically, he had no ambition yeah. on, of giving birth. Yes, no. and yeah. I also do not want to have children. So I said like he was my spirit animal. Yeah, Martin and Rossum, he's on this quiz show and he called the Slims and Men's. But he doesn't actually take part in the quiz show. He just sits in a chair and kind of uh, speaks words of wisdom once in a while. Yeah, he's a jury. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's yeah. He's a bit. He's a bit mad. But yeah. uh, it's entertaining. He's a bit grumpy. Yeah, he's very yeah. grumpy. He's very grumpy. And him and his brother and sister, who are equally as grumpy, have this <laughs> have been on this TV show where they go around and complain about. About, like towns and oh, yeah. stuff it's in called the here, here come the fun Russians, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they went to Delft once but they really liked Delft except the library <laughs> that's totally reasonable yeah, yeah pretty <laughs> much but uh, Gordon uh, which football analyst are you stalking um, I wasn't aware I was stalking any football analyst I've just been enjoy- what I like about the World Cup is you can watch various um, countries coverage of it so you can you can watch the BBC you can watch Germany you can watch the Dutch television uh, but I particularly enjoyed the Belgian coverage I thought their analysts were extremely good um, you know they had a Jan Mulder 
the former Dutch uh, player and um, uh, and journalist, uh, his son Yuri Mulder. Um, yeah, they, and also, they they invite a lot of Dutch people. They have a lot of Dutch people yeah. on the table, yeah, and, and a couple of Belgians as well, including uh, uh, one of Standard Liège's um, uh, best players, uh, Inke Courtois. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's a woman. She's one. In, yes. In, in, yeah. Or if you look at the Netherlands, at the Dutch uh, analyst, they never had they never a, had a female, female analyst, analyst no. ever. And what's kind of strange, the, the BBC had a couple of um, um, players from the England women's team, and there was absolute uproar on social media about it. Um, you know, people just couldn't get their head around the idea of a woman being an analyst. Yeah, but the Belgians have had Imke Courtois for, well, the last championship as well, and she's very good. She's a very good um, you know, Wait, understand, British understanding people of football. British time to be upset about female football analysts on Twitter <laughs> while your government is in a complete and total meltdown? This is before our government oh, was in complete okay, and total okay, meltdown. Okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, we've, but we've, your government has been in a complete meltdown <laughs> since last one and a half years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they've stepped up the meltdown. We're, we're, ah. we're, we're melt- They're melting fast. <laughs> yeah, they've now put it under a heat lamp melting, so it'll melt yeah, as yeah. fast as possible. We're, we're, we're melting faster than the Antarctic ice shelf. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Because this is our last episode before the summer break, we'll give you a top 10 of greatest upheaves of the past year. Prime Minister Mark Rutte said prior to the NATO summit in Brussels on Wednesday that President Donald Trump of the United States has a point when he says other NATO countries should increase their defense budgets. Rutte said even though the Netherlands has increased its defense budget significantly in the past year, it's still not enough and he pledged to look at the issue in 2019 and 2020. NATO members have agreed to spend 2% of their GDP on defense after pressure by the American president who threatened less military support from America if countries do not comply. The Netherlands currently spends 1.3% of its GDP on the military, which is below average. And it was a pretty chaotic summit all around, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, that would be an understatement, I think. Well, Donald Trump was there. I mean, what what did we expect? Well, we expect that it would be a shitstorm, but that would such a shitstorm, no one... I think what we didn't expect was the shitstorm would start at breakfast time. (laughs) Yeah, that's That was was where I think he he jumped the gun on his own shitstorm. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There are several stories about what happened behind the closed doors. We obviously don't know what really happened uh, 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 there in Brussels. But apparently Donald Trump demanded uh, immediately after uh, the meeting started that all countries has to meet the 2% spending right now, basically. Uh, There was even a moment that he said 2% wasn't enough and that it should be 4%. Uh, Fun fact, the United States is also not spending 4% of its GDP Mm -hmm. on, uh, on military, but that's that's okay. Russia probably is. Russia probably is, yeah. yeah but they do, they're really? very small. It's higher than 3.6%. Oh, okay. And but Russia has a really small GDP, so it could is quite possible that they are spending yeah. 4%. Uh, the other world leaders try to explain that their budgets can be increased uh, instantly. They have parliaments to deal with. Um, and during a breakfast meeting with the Secretary General of NATO, Trump also attacked Germany for their dependency on Russian gas. Not that that was uh, on the official agenda mm. or something. There's nothing to do with NATO. And also it's like... In. So I, I then listened to a, a, a podcast that, that they were interviewing some people, some Russian ministers who were basically saying, like, it is true that we get, you know, 30 percent of our gas from Russia. But we also like export all this other stuff to Russia. And if they stop giving us gas, we'll stop exporting. And it's going to hurt Russia more than it hurts us. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And uh, there were also reports that uh, Trump uh, even threatened to step out of NATO, even yeah. though uh, Rutte said he never did. But other countries uh, say he did. So that's yeah, unclear if really did it or not. I believe that he did. I believe so as well. So what needs to be done for the Netherlands to meet this like 2% uh, 
percent of GDP on defense spending. Um, this year, the cabinet is spending 1.5 billion extra money on the military, but that's not nearly enough. And another problem is that the spending demand is based on the size of uh, a NATO member's economy, but the Dutch economy is expected to grow significantly in the coming years. So that means that meeting this demand is getting further and further away every year. Uh, experts expect that an increase of seven to eight billion euro a year is required to meet the two percent demand, uh, but that means a, a doubling of what the Netherlands is spending now. Yeah, but is this not a bit of a canny move by? as well because this is a uh, real kind of faith day hobby horse yeah. you know, they want to spend more on defense but their coalition partners are a bit more reserved yeah. about it so he's kind of maybe using trump to lean on his uh, domestic uh, yeah well, allies. and his comments i think were really smart right like yeah. oh no you're totally we're totally right mr trump we have to look we're gonna definitely look into this and then you know we'll see whether or not you know trump is still paying attention to this in 2019 i mean he handled it very well he's I not think. spending uh, attention to it right now i think every mm. every, every day is spending yeah, every day is, an, is a new start yeah. yeah yeah 51st dates starring donald trump junior finance minister menno snell announced yesterday that planned changes to the 30 percent ruling are going forward as part of the current coalition agreement, the government aimed to reduce the number of years one could be eligible for the tax reduction, which reduces the tax liability of highly skilled migrants and gives other tax benefits. It was announced earlier this year that the ruling would be reduced from eight years to five, but without a grace period for those already receiving the benefit. A petition protesting the move garnered over 35,000 signatures, and organizations <laughs> ranging from the Universities Association to chipmaker ASML have requested the government institute a grace period. So when will these changes uh, come into effect? January 1st, 2019. So, right, yeah, hmm. if you've received the benefit after that, it'll only be good for five years. But if you've received it in the three years prior and were promised it for eight years, you'll only be able to take advantage of it for five years after the date of implementation. Right. So people have got six months to sort of to completely reorganize their financial planning. Yes. Which the minister seems thinks is reasonable. Yes. Even though the Dutch government likes to plan things, uh, you know, sort of twenty years. In I advance. know. I, I, if you wanted to make an appointment with him to uh, to <laughs> discuss this, you would have to plan it six months in advance. Yeah, but, eighteen you know, months. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, people are very upset. Understandably so. I would also be very upset. Yeah, there's been a lot of responses. I think we we've had from uh, on, uh, on yeah. um, social media, yeah. the Dutch News Facebook page, and uh, all the rest of it. A lot of people are very unhappy and also quite worried. I think yeah. because you know it's going to cost people several thousand euros that they hadn't budgeted for. Yeah. You know, you, you've you've taken out a mortgage based on thinking yeah. that you're going to pay X amount in tax, and suddenly you've got a big extra amount to pay. Yeah, or you you know you've enrolled your children in a in a international school, yeah. and that's no longer like tax deductible. I mean, you're basically going to hit take a thirty percent tax increase. In six months that you were not aware was going to happen. I mean, it's it's pretty dramatic, I think. And the Universities Association is particularly upset because they have a lot of like uh, young professors, mm. PH, a lot of PhDs and postdocs who maybe aren't paid like a super high salary um, and comparatively, you know, often have, you know, come from countries where education isn't as subsidized. So they have like large student loans and these sorts of things. Yeah. And, you know, they're receiving this 30 percent ruling. And it's really like make or break. Like you can't kind of afford to continue living here yeah. uh, on a postdoc salary um, kind of w without it. If you, you know, sort of haven't come up in a culture where you don't have the burdens of things like student loans and this kinds of stuff. Water engineers from Friesland travelled to Thailand last week to help coordinate the rescue of the 12 schoolboys and their football coach who got stuck deep inside a complex of waterlogged caves. 
In the end, the engineers from the Fun Heck Pumping Company weren't called upon, as the boys were led out of the caves by divers. But if that had failed, Jeroen Fun Heck and his team were on standby to try to drain the caverns using the company's state-of-the-art pumping machines, which can empty an Olympic-sized swimming pool in 15 minutes. That's so crazy. Yeah. And it's a heck so of a machine. much water, yeah. Yeah, have you seen these things? Yeah. Have you seen pictures of them? I saw pictures with the, in the yeah. article, yeah. They used them to drain Somerset, you know, in, in the west of England when it flooded, I think, oh, four right. years ago. Yeah. And there's, there's a huge area that was just completely underwater, and they were sent over to, um, it was about 20 of these machines um, to, 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 to drain the fields. Yeah. But these Friesland, uh, this Friesland company was still more to use than uh, Elon Musk, wasn't, weren't they? Yes. Um, Elon Musk, the billionaire car um, uh, space shooter car space shooter <laughs> yes indeed best known so far for sending a car into space um, he, he he turned up uh, of his own, own volition nobody asked him to with a little sort of miniature submarine that he said could be used to rescue the children How would that from the work? caves ask would him would they step into the <laughs> submarine or something yeah it's or? basically like a floating coffin yeah. Um, yeah. so <laughs> just like get in this coffin thing and like float out yeah yeah, so he turned up with this. He made a big noise about it on Twitter, saying he was going to rescue the children. But um, the provincial governor took a look at it, took a look at it, and said, uh, "No, yeah. we don't need this. It's not practical. It's no use to us. Uh, please go away." So he, he dumped it outside in the mouth Did, of the cave, made another big noise about it on Twitter, and he went away in a big sulk. He didn't send it into space. No, oh. um, perhaps he could have climbed into it and uh, sent it into space. <laughs> but did he? So did he like? Was this thing like even tested before it turned up here? No, I think he just built it out of rocket parts and uh, and then flew over to Thailand with it. Um, I don't know whether he carried out any testing or whatever. It was kind of immaterial because it was you know it wasn't suited to the task um, involved. So it was a big engineering fail. But uh, <laughs> apart from that, yeah. he's such a. <laughs> oh, so not, yes. so at least he tried to help so the children were the wild boars he was the crashing boar so. oh there we go there's the pun <laughs> there it is he's a self-promoting boar he is <laughs> it turns out it might have been bureaucracy not callousness that kept Anna Frank and her family from emigrating to the United States New research published last week by the Anna Frank House and the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum on Friday showed that the application by Otto Frank spent years on a waiting list and was destroyed when the American consulate in Rotterdam was bombed by the Germans in May of 1940. Previously, it was believed that the Franks' visa had been declined. The U.S., prior to the outbreak of the war, set a cap of the number of immigrants from Germany and Austria at 27,000 and refused to increase the limit despite being inundated with asylum applications from Jews and other persecuted groups. This research shows, however, that the Franks' application was never processed. So there's a kind of precedent here for things that are going on uh, at the present time, I think we, we, we might say, with uh, strict immigration quotas that they refuse to um, Yeah, it's funny how that vary. works, huh? yeah. how, how, how history comes back around. Yes. I wonder what we're going to be saying in 30 years about uh, how we should have like let these people in. Um, yeah, it's not a good look for the U.S., um, like, at all, and, mm. uh, you know. But didn't they, they? The U.S. didn't process their uh, application because the cap was already met, or no? They well, they were on the waiting list because the cap had been met, but they never had that opportunity to have the visa application be processed because it was destroyed in the bombing. And then mm. they were like, at that point, by 1940, they were trying to like reconstruct this list of 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 applicants, but the 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 Franks were already in hiding, so they weren't like going to head over um, to the uh, yeah, consulate yeah, to reapply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew this. I'm not sure how I ended up with a better world grasp of World War II history than, I don't know, the rest of America did. Because it's not like... Because he paid attention like, at school? I guess so. Yeah. But it's, of course, when this when this research was published in the U.S., a lot of the U.S. media picked up like all of these awful, horrible stories of like... There was a boat from Sweden with a with a filled with Jewish refugees that like the U.S. turned 
around and they all died basically in concentration camps and just like all these horrible things about how like we just didn't basically because of racism just like refuse to take in any of these like Jewish asylum seekers and it's it was really really terrible In sport, Kiki Bertens' remarkable run to the Wimbledon quarterfinals ended when she came up against one of the immutable laws of Dutch sport. Sooner or later, the Germans will get you. (laughs) After overcoming five-times champion Venus Williams in the third round and dispatching the Czech seventh seed Karolina Pliskova in round four, Bertens took on the number 13 seed Julia Gerges. She was aiming to become the first Dutch woman to reach the semi-finals at Wimbledon since Betty Sturver in 1977. The 26-year-old took the first set and had a chance to grab a match point late in the second, but then the German found another gear and pulled away like a Mercedes, winning eight of the last nine games to take the match 3-6, 7-5, 6-1. Yeah, it was a really exciting game because in the first set, Kiki was uh, was just a better player. In mm. the second set, they were, it was basically 50-50. That was the chance when Kiki could have won. And in, But in the, in the third set, uh, the German was, was, was playing much better than uh, than Kiki Bertens did. Yeah, but it was a good match. Uh, it was yeah. a very good match. And was uh, Kiki happy with her performance? Yeah, generally she was. I think she says she was happy with the way she played. She's not really a grass court player, so she, she's more um, suited to the hard courts. But she thought she was trying to a more aggressive playing style, and that uh, worked out for her. So she hopes that she'll now get better results um, in the hard court season, uh, which is uh, coming up. In the United States. Yeah, uh, I think in, in, yeah, uh, the, the US, Open, yeah. US Open and uh, I think the Australian as well as yeah. that play on hard courts. So how did her opponent rea- react to the victory? Typical levels of German triumphalism? Uh, no, apparently she actually apologised. Uh, I was reading oh, really? uh, on the papers. <laughs> sorry for that. winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so, sorry I beat you. Um, especially the third set. was a bit, um, yeah, it was a, bit yeah, it was a bit over the top. But um, no, they're, apparently they're, they're, they're good friends off court. Uh, but and Bertens then had to reassure her that she really deserved the victory. So this is why women's <laughs> sports is so much better than men's sports. Yeah, yeah. There's none of those kind of things you get in ma- male boxing. Yeah, uh, uh, things you. Uh, it did mean, of course, that Bertens, who'd beaten Venus Williams, couldn't didn't get the chance to take on Serena Williams in the semi-final. Um, and Serena Williams then beat Gerges in straight sets on and Thursday, having just given birth, right? Yes, like, indeed. I think a year ago she yeah. gave birth. So this, yeah. I think, it was her first. She played, I think, thirteen matches yeah. since. Um, that's crazy. Since having a baby. Yeah, she's been on the top since 1999. That's that's just amazing. Yeah. The island of Schiermonnik Oog has asked tourists to leave their drones on the mainland. Visitors are complaining about being plagued by buzzing noises in the high season. The Wadden Island's nature and scenic location has made it a popular spot for filming panoramic shots by drones, but the noises interfere with the island's status as a natural retreat, according to local alderman Erik Gerbrands. It's not nice for people walking on the beach if people fly over their heads, he added. Only the national government and not the municipality council has the authority to ban the drones, but Gerbrands has a solution. The advantage of being an island is that you need a boat to get there, so we'll be handing information about what people should and shouldn't do, he said. Uh, Have other people in the country had drone problems too? Yes. King Willem-Alexander will probably be fined for having a drone. <laughs> this is amazing. It's a great story. It's, it's a, a great, great story. story. <laughs> yeah. A month ago, he said uh, to reporters while visiting a military base that he owns a drone. However, for safety and privacy reasons, the airspace above royal palaces is in fact a no-fly zone. And these rules also apply to royalty, so he will probably be fined for having a drone. But is he? if it's a no-fly zone, then he just can't fly the drone above the palace. Yeah, but he owns one and he probably used it to fly it. Did he not say, actually in the interview, that uh, he, that he flew it in the palace gardens? Was that not where the I think so. came from? Yeah, uh, I think and so. And then the, the Telegraph yeah. picked this up. Would, would you have to be caught in flagrante? Um, to... <laughs> As the French said. 
<laughs> there, there is a lot of military police around this uh, yeah. his house, so he yeah. probably will be. He will not be fined for violating his own privacy, of mm. course, but he will be fined for flying a drone near <laughs> a Rijksmonument. Mm. Ah, yes. And there was also some other thing about... Oh, yeah, this is also a great mm. story. Um, so the, the royal palace in The Hague right now is being renovated for the king to move in there. He wanted to add solar panels to the palace roof, but he's not allowed because you are not allowed <laughs> to put solar panels on a Rijksmonument right. as well. He was, and Queen Beatrix complained years before that she wanted to put solar panels on a greenhouse on the palace grounds, and she wasn't also allowed to mm. do that by the, the Hague municipality. No, you're basically not allowed to do anything uh, to a Rijksmonument. Yeah, but the it? greenhouse is not a Rijksmonument. Well, perhaps, I don't know. Is it not? She, so she just couldn't get a permit from the, the Hague for municipality. That. Oh, that's annoying, yeah. yeah. We'll give you the top 10 of amazing, ridiculous and funny ophefs of the past six months after this word from our sponsor. Here in Holland is the podcast in English about life with the Dutch. Stories to make you laugh, cry, pull your hair out or jump for joy. Every two weeks, available in your favourite podcast app, on Spotify or at hereinholland.com. Guys. This is our last uh, episode before the summer break. We're taking a long summer break this yeah. year. Yeah. Do we want to explain to listeners why we're taking a long summer break? No. No. Um, they won't care. They won't care. Because they care. Do they? I think they care. Okay, then explain. Because we record this podcast in my closet. <laughs> That's basically That's true. That's literally true. That true. Yeah. And I'm, I have purchased a house and I'm moving. And so the closet is being disassembled like next week, basically. It yeah. will not be reassembled until sometime in, in August. Be so back. we'll be back with a new closet and uh, a yeah. new podcast. No, we'll even. have a whole office in the new house. Yeah, it's crazy. Like this. Yeah. yeah. Which, which your engineer a, boyfriend is designing. Yeah, for he's, yeah. Got, he's got some big, big plans about uh, and our sound engineer. They've been uh, working together to, to put together a good quality studio. So it's hopefully great. the sound quality yeah. The lengths we go to to, to, to bring this podcast uh, to, the, to the world. Yeah. When are we coming yeah. back? The first week of September? I think first week of September. First week of yeah. September yeah. we'll yes. be back. Yes. But until then, we're going to treat our listeners to a list of the very best ophefs of the last uh, year. Yes. Yeah. So, Paul, can you can you give a brief description of what an ophef is? This Op- is like the number one question that I get in the podcast email. <laughs> what is an ophef? Yeah, we had a, an ophef special a yeah. couple of weeks ago, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we talk about it a lot. It's not an English word. It's a Dutch word. It's an English word now. Ophef is... How would you best describe it? It, it sort of directly translates to like uh, like a fuss, right? A fuss. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the best word. And it specifically sort of refers to things that happen kind of like in the media or in society or like on Twitter, a lot of them. A lot of them yeah. on Twitter. Where it's yeah. like kind of... Silly or stupid or nonsensical yeah. things. But, but, but people get really wound up about they get it. Very I think the point about OPEF is that the response is totally out of proportion to the actual incident. Yeah, right. isn't yeah. It? yeah. yeah. and it lasts for typically no longer than 24 hours. Right. And after that, everybody is forgets, forgets about it basically because there's a new OPEF. Right. And then, uh, yeah, so I decided uh, uh, at the beginning of the year to just keep a list of all the OPEFs we have during yes. the year. How is that list going? Uh, the list is going very fine. I think we have now almost 200 ophefs wow. currently mm-hmm. listed. And if you go through the list, and then very often you, you, you see one of the ophefs and you, you think, wow, I forgot about that, what yeah. Gordon said. And uh, yeah, we just went through the list and we picked cherry-picked the 10 best uh, ophefs. And uh, right. yeah, we're going to uh, give you a brief summary and a brief reminder of them because some of them we discussed on the podcast as well. Yeah. yeah. 
We had fun negotiating what was going to make the list yes. yesterday. Yes, yes. The the list now is in chronological order, okay, so it's yeah. not top to, ten in the sense that yeah. it's a ranking or something. So the first upheft that happened this year was January 3rd. It was during the first storm of the year, and a replica of Noah's Ark went adrift from the port of Urk. Urk being in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. Being in the Bible Belt, yeah, that's very important for this story yes. as well. Yeah, yes. The 70-meter long, 10-meter wide, and 13-meter high vessel crashed into dozens of other boats and ships in the harbor. It was a very chaotic scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, videos of the loose Ark went viral on the internet, and the owner was shocked by the damage it caused. The Ark housed a Bible museum and also uh, a bunch of animals, and they all needed to be evacuated from the Ark, mm-hmm. ironically. And uh, yeah, as, as, <laughs> very ironically. And as you said, um, uh, Urk is in the Bible Belt, so that, yeah. that made this divine intervention also very ironic. Yeah, yeah. It, oh, made, it made international headlines and like just some of the news articles about this, about mm-hmm. like the Ark becoming unmoored and crashing into stuff was just very entertaining. Yeah, and remind me, were the animals evacuated two by two? <laughs> <laughs> no, they, were, they didn't. Do... <laughs> How are they keeping animals on this boat? Like animals need sunshine and grass. What is wrong with yeah, these people? Yeah, but these are like <laughs> rabbits and other 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 animals that sometimes you keep I think the boat had a deck as well a a deck that's like covered in horse manure now (laughs) because they're keeping cows and (laughs) pigeons and stuff on this boat speaking of animals uh yeah. Um, later in January, the country was captivated by the story of Hermine, uh, Hermine the cow. Uh, Hermine managed to escape en route to the butcher. He had escaped from uh, from the truck and it fled to the herd of another farmer who was unable to catch her. After that, the cow uh, fled to a nearby forest and efforts to catch uh, the cow there using food laced with knockout drops also failed. And a specially licensed hunter who was also very unsuccessful in shooting the cow. <laughs> and after that, the animal rights party Partij for the Dieren started a crowdfunding campaign. No, no, they started a cow funding a cow campaign. cow funding campaign, that's right. Quite soon afterwards, it had raised enough money to ensure that the cow will spend the rest of her days at a cow retirement home in Friesland. Yes, which is in some natural home of cows. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. This was one smart cow, though, wasn't it? And managed to uh, stay one step ahead of Every all time. these people yeah. for several weeks. Yeah. Or else maybe it was a case of bovine intervention. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering how bad this hunter must be if you can't shoot a cow. Cows are dumb shoot, and yeah. they move slowly. They move like, slowly. It's not, they're not that yes, hard to and, shoot. And forests in the Netherlands aren't typically that dense. big or, yeah. or dense. Or, I like The cow had a smart plan, though. First, the cow was like, I'm going to hide in plain sight with a bunch of other cows. Like, smart. <laughs> and then when they got busted, it like He just used the, the other cows as a living mm. as a living target. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. Cow shields. It's a smart cow. Hopefully it doesn't end up on an arc in Urk. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Ophef uh, uh, also touches upon really serious problems. Wait, cows escaping from uh, trucks are not a really serious problem, Paul? Uh, okay, from now on, that's a now serious Now we're going to get hate, well. ma- hate mail from the part time on the <laughs> <laughs> um, Suit Supply, a men's fashion line, launched a new campaign in March with posters showing two men kissing and hugging. The posters were placed at 5,000 locations throughout the country and Suit Supply lost immediately after uh, launching their campaign 10,000 followers on social media. The company received hundreds of complaints by email from people who uh, asked how they had to explain seeing two men kissing to their children. And on top of that, across the Netherlands, these posters were vandalized, sparking a debate uh, on homophobia and LGBT emancipation in the country. A few weeks later, a Christian daily newspaper, Reformatoris Dagblad, received a storm of criticism on social media after they distributed flyers calling for protest against the suit supply ad campaign. The flyer was part of a campaign by an organization called Family in Danger, 
And as a response, people on Twitter flooded the newspaper's account with videos, photos and GIFs of men kissing. Okay, so first, a company puts out pictures of men kissing. Yeah. And the world loses it. The country <laughs> loses it. Yeah, well, and then one a half of the country loses it. And protests after... this. Yeah. And then the country loses it. Yeah. And yeah. puts more, fo- more photos of, pe- of men kissing. Yeah, so at first, you had the group of people who... Uh, you know, are homophobics, they lo- they lost it. And mm-hmm. people were obviously criticizing that because, you know, who cares? That was the upheaf. And then a few weeks later, the uh, the newspaper came with their flyers and that, you know, that also sparked yeah, a fight up-hef. between this these two kind groups. There's kind of about the upheaf. Yeah. yeah. But the Netherlands is a, the most the world's most tolerant country. Yeah, well, some people aren't in this country. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very Dutch response. Well, this is a typical non, I love this non, non-issue, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, Peter Quint, that's uh, an SPMP. Of course it's an SPMP. Yes. Yeah. He is known for his casual clothing style, but when he appeared in the Tweede Kamer with a deep V-neck on April 12th, chairwoman Kadia Arip asked where his jacket was. He responded by saying that his dry cleaner is very slow, <laughs> but Arip's comments uh, sparked a debate among the public on how MPs should be dressed in the Tweede Kamer. There's no official dress code in the parliament, but some people think that you should just dress formally in in the parliament because, you know, it's the highest... It's a serious job. It's a serious job, so you should dress seriously. But other people think that in the palace of democracy, the ultimate act of freedom is just dressing the way you want. And, of course, uh, some MPs have been known to put on uh, flak jackets and uh, in, in the course of parliamentary business as well. So. In defense of Karima Abib, <laughs> she also made comments about that. So, I mean, it's yeah. not like she's not she's not just picking on the SP. Guy. No, but she was just joking when she said it. Yeah. How do you feel? How do you guys feel about this? Do you well, think she have I, to wear business casual? Yeah, I think so as well. I also think a jacket. Uh, yeah, no, not necessarily a tie, but definitely a jacket. Wow. I'm, I'm going to be the one that comes down on like the leftist side of this for <laughs> once. That never happens. I no, I think you should be able to... a left or right thing. No, so. I think you should be able to dress however you want. Oh. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't stand up and object to somebody else dressing differently from me. But I would certainly feel more comfortable. Well, let's do, thank a, you. Yeah, for, thank you for taking that one for the team, Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't wear a knockoff football. Oh, come on! Beer, if the Netherlands top, were in the World Cup, they and the MPs wore knockoff brewery football jerseys, people would think it was amazing and mm-hmm. not criticize it. Yeah. That's true. In May. Anne-Marie Couderc was appointed as the new CEO of Air France KLM. And even though uh, NOS reported that she had a successful corporate and political career, NOS chose to use the headline, KLM gets female CEO, rather than using her name in the headline. Um, This caused some upheaf and a storm of criticism. And because of that, the broadcaster changed the headline. Good. And she wasn't even the, the first female uh, I was going to ask that. If, it, if she was the first female yeah. CEO, then, then there might be a case for it. Then yeah. it's yeah. But, but then no. she, they should have added the word first. Right. Yeah. But it, she wasn't the first. She wasn't so the first. that didn't make any sense. Yeah. So this is... This we agree with this op yeah. right? Yes. yes. Uh, yes. The op was justified. Yeah, the op was justified. Yeah. 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 And on the subject of French people... Yeah, the next uh, op uh, involves a group of uh, French visitors to Safari Park Beekseberge Zoo. Um, in the zoo, you can drive around in your car. The zoo is an open field and the, the wild animals walk freely there. Obviously, it's absolutely forbidden to step out of your car because there are wild animals walking it's freely. Sort of thing you didn't really need to make that. Yeah, say that would you, 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 you would, would think, think so. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, the French visitors uh, didn't realize this. Unfortunately, they parked their car, stepped out of the, stepped out of it, and uh, walked around, not realizing that a group of very hungry cheetahs were approaching them. Luckily for them, 
they spotted them in time and they fled to their car, but they, they were nearly eaten. Yeah, the because, video yeah. is really intense. They had some dash, yeah, yeah, yeah make a bit yeah. of a dash for it because yeah. the cheaters were definitely stalking them. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. the upheaval was about uh, the people who were filming this. Yeah, people on the internet found that the people who were filming this shouldn't be filming it, but they should have stepped out of the car yeah. and warned the French people nope. that the cheaters were approaching no. them. No, yeah. nope, 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 nope. I'm nope. not getting out of the car to to get also get eaten by a cheater. No, these, these, these are the dumb. same kind of extremely yeah. stupid people who claim that they would uh, run straight into a school <laughs> when uh, someone was running around with a shotgun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Um, we're going back to the Tweede Kamer now. On May 29th, the Tweede Kamer got a new flag. Earlier that year, MPs had voted on a motion that called for placing a Dutch flag in the parliament. Some MPs found uh, that it was ridiculous that the Netherlands was one of the few countries in the world where the parliament didn't have a national flag in the assembly hall. The motion sparked a public debate on nationalism. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course it did. But when the flag was placed, supporters and opponents found each other again in ridiculing the flag, which was too small and the foot of the flag looked like a piece of cheese. Oh, so some miniature flags you yeah, get like on, on your table when you're at a beach cafe or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they like, put in the cheese cubes. Yeah. yeah. So immediately people started to Photoshop uh, cubes of cheese or a bitter ball <laughs> beneath the flag. The temporary flag was later replaced by a larger, more upscale version, according to <laughs> the words of uh, Katia Arip. But when it was revealed that the new flag cost 12,000 euro... That sparked another wave of upheaval. Yeah, and there was people who still thought that it wasn't big enough, weren't they? No. Thierry Baudet felt that. I think he won't be satisfied until the flag is actually bigger than the parliament <laughs> yeah. chamber. Yeah. yeah. But it does kind of strike me, actually, that um, uh, how many how many Dutch flags you do see flying around from buildings and shops and things in this country. I find it quite striking. In Britain, if you see, people are very reserved about flying the UK flag. Oh, see, it's, it's the opposite as, uh, in the no. US. I mean, like... Yeah, because there's always a big debate about, you know, is flying the flag kind of a sign that you're a closet racist yeah. or something. <laughs> especially no. in Scotland, yeah. because then there's the... the you know, there's fly, a lot of... Whether you fly the British flag or the Scottish flag yeah. says something about your political allegiance. The um, When we were... The first time that we were in the US, I think every time that we saw, like, a giant flag, Niels wanted to stop and take a picture because, like, a lot of, like, big companies, especially along the highway, will fly these, like, huge... I mean, like, you know, 20-meter f- wide flags. Like, they're just ginormous. And Niels was very fascinated by how big the flags were. Speaking of uh, outdoor visual symbolism... <laughs> <laughs> well, Lelystad Airport, the new uh, soon-to-be-opened airport... We're not sure if it will soon open no, because there's so. always a lot of upheaf about it. But it w- that's the airport that's supposed to take over uh, a lot of short and medium haul flights from Schiphol. Um, naturally, people living nearby and under the proposed flight paths are not happy with the new airport. They fear the impact of noise by increased uh, air traffic. But to reassure them, the Ministry of Infrastructure thought it was a good idea to let one aircraft fly uh, the new flight paths to let the people experience how living under them would be like. They called this... The experience flight. Yes. Even though yes. you weren't experiencing the flight, just like the, the waste of the flight. Yeah, the noise, <laughs> just the noise. Just the, the pollution the, the flight generates. Yeah. 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 Well, obviously, the flight was immediately ridiculed on the internet and by the people who were supposed to be experiencing it. Um, critics pointed out that one flight wouldn't be able to simulate the dozens of other aircraft that will fly uh, over these people's houses during the day. Uh, people were called upon on Twitter to put towels in the shape of sad smileys on their backyard tram to show to, I guess, the pilot their unhappiness with the new airport. There's, there's I had no idea so many people had trampolines, basically. Yeah. I think everybody in the Netherlands has a trampoline. We don't. 
No, do no, do I, and I really should, yeah. yeah. But I believe there's another op-hef about this, isn't there? Because um, lots of people tweeted at the time of the flight uh, complaining about the ear-splitting noise, and then it turned out the flight had been delayed. Yeah. yeah. So there yeah. actually wasn't yeah. any noise yeah. at the moment exactly. that people yeah. had, exactly. uh, were sending the tweets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the NOS was uh, filming in uh, one person's backyard, and this person lived next to a railroad, so when the airplane was flying over his house, there was a train that passed by, so he didn't hear any of the yeah. anything of the airplane. But yeah, they were, <laughs> they were filming this, so it was... It was a bit awkward. A couple of weeks ago, the uh, building of the largest uh, daily newspaper in the Netherlands, the Telegraaf, was uh, attacked with a car. It was a van, the, wasn't it? It was a van, yeah. yeah it was a van. It, it, ramped, uh, it, it crashed into the building and was set on fire. Obviously, this uh, attack is really uh, terrifying for the people who work there and also attack on, uh, on the freedom of the press, basically. Uh, however, a, we, a day later, uh, Tommy Wieringa, who is a writer and Molly's favorite writer, to mm. be exact. No, no. Uh, <laughs> the, guy your wrote, favorite ever the guy that wrote The Aventa is my favorite. Uh, <laughs> favorite i mean the worst writer yeah <laughs> yeah he was the host of a or he was a guest at a conference for dutch mayors and he uh, joked that it was about time that the uh, telegraph was attacked yeah this because the telegraph is like a conservative right-wing like somewhat populist newspaper yeah, yeah. You know. and you either love it or you either hate it the upheft that emerged was not only because of the joke uh geert wilders was uh, the one who complained that you shouldn't joke about this even though he's the the fighter of the it freedom of the yeah. Yeah. well given the two things yeah firstly he's the head of the party for freedom and yet he's He's suggesting that people should be sacked for laughing at a joke. Yeah. And also that he's constantly making offensive comments about Muslims. Yeah. yeah. And, and like everyone, I mean, yeah. But uh, the op was not so much about the joke, but about the fact that the group of mayors that were sitting in the hall uh, were laughing about it. Yeah. And um, it was the same week that uh, it emerged that a lot of mayors received death uh, threats. Yeah. Uh, so that was what the op was about. Why are you joking about a newspaper getting attacked while you are basically suffering from the same thing. Yeah, I kind of go back and forth on this, you know, so I think on the one hand, it wasn't a funny joke by Tommy Vienka, no, and it wasn't all. very insightful. On the other hand, as he pointed out, you know, what happened basically was a car drove into the front of a building, you know, nobody died, nobody was hurt, and I think yeah. you know, sending death threats to people for laughing at what was an inappropriate joke seems to be extremely over the top yeah. as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I, I think the joke was inappropriate, and Vilders's reaction to the joke was inappropriate, <laughs> and they're all just a bunch of twats, and should, like, stop <laughs> Talking. I think Tommy Vienka and Kate Wilder should just be made to go and sit down for dinner and uh, in, in a locked room for, yeah. you know, for like four four hours. For... Yeah, or or something even more terrible. They should be forced to live in uh, Lelystad underneath the airport flight <laughs> like Yeah, well, you can talk about uh, Ophef if you uh, skip Thierry Baudet because yeah. he's the king of Ophef. Mm. He's the uh, country's greatest uh, Ophef generator. Yeah, he's a one-man Ophef factory. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, we chose just to choose one Ophef because there is so much uh, to talk about. Um, he caused a lot of uh, controversies by his... Uh, just like everything, uh, just yeah. existing, yes. breathing, really. Throughout the year, he caused a lot of controversies uh, by his uh, provocative actions and comments. Um, but in January this year, Baudet tweeted some remarks on climate change, including that there is no increase of extreme weather, no increase of global temperatures, and smog in India has nothing to do with CO2 emissions. Gerrit Riemstra, that is uh, a weatherman for the uh, NOS, pointed out on Twitter that these comments were incorrect, after which Baudet demanded the weatherman should be fired. He later deleted this tweet, but this sparked an enormous debate in the media and on social media about climate change, as well as Ophef about Thierry Baudet's uh, provocative comments uh, yeah. in general. There seems to be a bit of a theme here, doesn't it, for politicians from right-wing populist uh, champions of uh, freedom and open societies and saying how much more advanced we are than repressive Middle Eastern states, then saying that people who disagree with them should be sat from their jobs. Yes, exactly. It's very <laughs> ironic how that works. <laughs> isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
So these were the ten uh, greatest ophefs of the of the past year. No, no, we disagree. Yeah, because, I disagree because we all have uh, a favorite ophef. Yes, we could yes. not narrow down the list, no. and so we chose to pick up the ten we thought most prominent, and then everyone on the team got to pick a favorite ophef to mm-hmm. discuss. Yes. So, so Molly, what's your favorite ophef of the year so far? The crash striptease. <laughs> <laughs> this was a good one. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of staff members at a crash in Utrecht thought it was appropriate to have one staff member do a striptease for another staff member at a birthday celebration while the nursery was open. The act also involved licking whipped cream from one of the female employee's breasts. The community health service, the GGD, wrote a report condemning the incident after they received an anonymous tip, but the nursery defended itself and said the commotion was exaggerated. They decided to sue the GGD to force them to identify the whistleblower. None of this is an exaggeration. <laughs> All of these things actually happened. Yeah, their defense was... Uh, it happened behind a closed door. Yeah, where yeah. The I was in a room and the children couldn't say, even though it was 10 o'clock in the morning, and the children were the in the nursery, but not in the vicinity of the room where yeah. this was happening. Uh, who wants to do a strip tease at 10 o'clock? Like, strip clubs aren't even open at 10 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, and it happened in Utrecht, and my boyfriend's parents are from Utrecht, so I got to make a lot of disparaging remarks about Utrecht. <laughs> and my, then my father-in-law was like, honestly, I don't see what the problem is yeah. here. <laughs> Paul, what was your favorite uh, OPEF of so far of so 2018? Far, yeah, because we still have six months to go. My favorite one is the uh, Obese Guard of Honor. May 4th is the National Remembrance Day in the Netherlands, and one of the ceremonies that are held is uh, on the uh, Waaldorpse Vlakte near The Hague. Uh, at this location, more than 250 Dutch people were executed by the Nazis. The memorial service includes ringing a memorial bell, but the organization received a couple of years ago several complaints of people who thought one of the bell ringers was too fat, and because of that, the organization decided to ban the man from participating, even though he was involved for dozens of years, basically. When this was revealed, it created a lot of upheaval, and uh, the organization uh, later said they will allow the man yeah. to keep participating in the ceremony. This is some garbage yeah. nonsense. Did, really is. did they not also have a policy of um, banning anyone with a sort of heavy build, I think they said, um, uh, from the front row of the ceremony? So yeah. they, they weren't visible on television. Yeah. 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 What, because people with like a heavy build don't deserve to honor yeah. victims of war? But, 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 yeah. People who fight in wars and then go on to eat only, a few too many hamburgers afterwards are disqualified yeah. from only, official Only skinny people get to, uh, yeah. get to honor military death yeah it was really ridiculous (laughs) also the people protesting against this is ridiculous like literally you need to have something else to do with your time please go stage a protest on your goddamn yes but this organization only got like 10 complaints or something Mm. and they decided to completely change their policy but I mean all the other people in the country thought that was ridiculous so they uh, changed it again yeah Yeah, I suppose this is kind of one of the hazards of being in a country where you strive constantly to accommodate every single point of view however ridiculous it might be rather than just say to people no you don't have a point go away and play with the traffic yeah Yeah. alright so Gordon Speaking of traffic, <laughs> what's your favorite OPEF of the year? So my favorite OPEF of the year was um, uh, Katie Couric of uh, NBC during the Winter Olympics opening ceremony uh, when the Dutch team was made up almost entirely, obviously, of speed skaters. Of course. Yes, which, because that's how it always is with Winter Olympics. And it's the least. only sport that the Dutch can win. So the question was posed during NBC's coverage, why the Dutch were so good at speed skating. And Katie had this uh, rather novel uh, answer It's not to novel the because somebody said it at the previous Winter Olympics oh, right, and okay. there was a bunch of OPEF about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> the, the answer, according to her, was that um, during the winter, the canals freeze over and the Dutch routinely use uh, sk- skating as a method of transport to get from place to place. Yes, yeah, she so literally said that it was one of the main modes of transport yes. in the Netherlands. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, in fact, the canals hardly ever freeze over these days yeah. and uh, we have bicycles and cars yeah. and trains and, and trams. trams and buses. <laughs> <laughs> and, and feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this immediately obviously sparked a whole wave of ridicule on social media and people posting uh, pictures of people speed skating saying rush hour in the Netherlands yeah. and saying I think somebody uh, one of my favourite comments is somebody says that yes that's right we, we, we skate to work and when we get to the windmill we, we, we put on our clogs and our Zealand maids outfits and start brewing Heineken yeah. Yeah. there was uh, there was at some point after this a, a decent freeze here and I finally got to skate on a canal for the first yes. time which was very exciting so Niels took a bunch of pictures of me skating and then posted them like to my family whatsapp group about being like look molly's commuting to work <laughs> and it yeah. was very funny yeah she later apologized for her comments she she she, she said she read it somewhere on the internet and she didn't verify it uh, i did wonder at the time whether this is one of those cases of your researchers stitching you up yeah. you know, <laughs> somebody wrote put it into the script and said i wonder if katie is dumb enough to read this out yes yeah. and the answer was yes <laughs> but the real question i think is in four years when there is another winter olympics yeah. will another idiotic american <laughs> commentator make the same remark because they also made it f- four years beforehand so probably i, I, I think the odds yes. are pretty strong yeah. i think the odds yeah. are extremely yeah. strong <laughs> so this is a recurring ophef yeah we can look forward to well you can just save the yeah. script from this yeah. one and, like yeah. use yeah. it for yeah. next yeah. year exactly. this is groundhog so, ophef yeah, yeah. groundhog ophef so well, that's it yeah that's all we have for you this week no this summer this summer yeah. yeah that's all we have for you this summer this podcast is a production of dutch news which can be found online at dutchnews.nl we will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl if you want to help us out please subscribe to the podcast and leaving us a rating my thanks to gordon derek and molly quell i'm paul peters and we'll not be back next week but after the summer yes yeah. enjoy bye. your summer holidays everyone bye My thanks to Gordon Tarek and Paul Peters. I'm Molly Quell and we'll be we'll not be back <laughs> next week. We'll be we'll be back after the summer. Yes, Molly Quell. We will yeah. be back after you, the summer. You're keeping that in now. Oh did I say <laughs> yeah. you, actually, you actually read what was there? <laughs> I did. I just I just uh... <laughs> You are Anchorman, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I just read you, what was in the script. This is what happened to Good. Katie Couric. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>